The reading is from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and then 25 to 28, <clears throat> which can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 752. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness to a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines? a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the Lord did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore I bring charges again against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Cedar and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use, I love foreign gods and I must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets. They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs on me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can, save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you as we come and share in worship together and as we have communion together. 
So, Jeremiah chapter 2. Do you remember uh, last week, Chris made the comment towards the end of his sermon that he loves the call passages in the Bible. Do you remember him saying that? Well, he did. <laughs> At least I remember him. I remember him saying that. Well, I just want to say, that's great. I do too. Love the call passages. But there's a problem with call passages, Mr Senior Minister. There's a problem. And it's a pretty basic problem. You see, here's the drill. You have to do what you've been called to do. I want to remind you of some other prophets and their call. Do you remember Isaiah's call? Pretty spectacular. Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, glory filling the temple. And he said to God, here am I, send me. Pick me, pick me. What a wonderful call passage. What about Ezekiel? Well, he had an overwhelming vision of creatures and glory and precious stones and fire and brilliant light and he fell down in worship. Amazing. We heard Jeremiah's call last week which was very different to either of those calls. Intimate, loving, with God saying to him, before I Formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Yes, call passages are fantastic. But what did Isaiah have to actually do? Well, Isaiah had to tell people that they will never see, never hear, never understand... And he was told that his job was to make the people's heart callous so that they wouldn't hear and understand and know. What kind of a job description is that? What did Ezekiel actually have to do? Well, he got told that he was going to the Israelites who were rebellious, that they had revolted, that they were stubborn and obstinate. He got told again that they were rebellious. And actually he got told again that they were rebellious. God said to him, speak to them whether they listen or not. And did I tell you they were rebellious? <laughs> and he also said to Ezekiel, oh, and I'll, I'll make your forehead like the hardest stone. So don't be afraid of them. You'll be all right. And that was just the beginning so here we are today in Jeremiah chapter 2, the chapter after his call in chapter 1. Now, the hints in chapter 1 weren't so good, if you remember last week. God said to Jeremiah, do whatever I say and don't be afraid. I'll tell you what you've got to say. My words will be with you. Now, isn't it true even that as parents, when we say to our children, don't be afraid, there's actually something to be afraid of. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to say it. Well, in chapter 2 it all begins, so let's see how it starts for Jeremiah. Well, I think it all pretty, it starts pretty lovey-dovey. It's really good. God is speaking through him 
and reminds his people of the wonder and the beauty of their early devotion. Young love is great, isn't it? Do you remember falling in love? Look at verses 2 and 3. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. There we see Israel was devoted to her God and God was fiercely devoted to protecting and providing for his beloved nation, chosen nation. Surely you'd think these memories would bring a spark of longing for those who were listening to Jeremiah. Oh, yes, I remember falling in love. I remember how it was in the beginning. I've been uh, re-watching an old TV series on 7 Plus. Do you remember a couple of decades ago there was All Saints? Well, I've been re-watching All Saints. I've been quite enjoying re-watching it. Uh, they're in the ED and you've got lots of issues that you have to contend with. Uh, but yeah, there's also the personal story of the patients. And in an episode I watched this week, there was a man in the ED... And his wife came in all distressed and concerned to see how he was. But then, not too long after that, another woman came in. <laughs> also claiming to be his wife. Well, yes, the man eventually told the staff, who were a little confused, that he was married to them both. Well, the staff worked hard to keep the women apart and protect the patient, but of course the inevitable happened and the two women met and needless to say it wasn't pretty. Now there's a similar thing happening here with Israel. God continues to talk through Jeremiah with some truth-telling. Betrayal has happened. This divine human marriage which began so beautifully has a tragic story. There were lots of things wrong with Israel but the worst of it was this violated relationship. That fundamental truth is what God is most offended by. When something or someone takes the place of God, that is by far the worst thing and the very worst sin. It breaks the first commandment, the commandment that everything else is hinged to. This nation had committed itself to being the people of God. It had signed the covenant, so to speak, all those generations ago. But Israel had completely forgotten what that meant and they had rejected everything that the covenant with God stands for. The people knew everything they needed to know about God, but they'd thrown it all away. They followed worthless idols, as verse 5 says. This God who had brought them out of Egypt and led them through wilderness and deserts, through ravines, drought and darkness, who'd led them through places no one knew and gave them food and fertile land and a rich inheritance, this God had been forgotten. 
even the religious people, the priests, hadn't asked anything about God, hadn't reminded the people about God, and the prophets had betrayed God and prophesied about Baal. They'd all gone after the non-gods, the worthless idols, and the one living God basically takes them to court and lays down the charges. And he says, this is tragic. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And God declares to the universe, be appalled at this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. It's really interesting here that God describes himself as the spring of living water. In Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 4 when he's by the well with the woman in Samaria? He tells her that his water will be a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Living water, of course, is always flowing, isn't it? And in that it can stay fresh and able to bring life. We know when we're out and about, don't we, that you can drink water from a flowing stream, but a stagnant pool, probably best not to. If water is flowing, it can stay clean. Now compare that to a cistern which simply holds water. It's never really clean water and certainly doesn't hold a torch to flowing water. But what these people had done was they'd not only forsaken the spring, but they had dug a cistern that was broken and couldn't hold any water. They had left something that could be eternally satisfying and created something that could never be satisfying. Delusion, isn't it? This is what happens when we go after other gods. This is what happened when God's people went after other gods. And Jeremiah is amazed that these people are prepared to settle for a delusion, especially when they actually know the truth. Now, if you haven't got a Bible open already in front of you, can I ask you to open to Jeremiah chapter 2? It's on page 752 if you're using the Pew Bibles because there's a portion of chapter 2 here in the middle that we didn't read, but I don't want to ignore it. So please have it open in front of you. There's some key things. Have a look at verses 14 to 19. There's a question that God asks. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Well, this is a rhetorical question because the answer is no, a definitive no. Israel's relationship with God is not as a slave but as a son, as family. That family relationship comes through again from the beginning when God describes it as a failed marriage. Here he is saying, 
why are you living as a servant of others when you should be living as a son of mine? In verse 15, the reference to lions is about the nations from the north being a threat. And then the reference to Memphis and Tarpanes, well, they're places in Egypt from the south. So they've put themselves in a position where they are surrounded by those who will attack them. You've forsaken the living water that you could have freely and now you are thinking about going to Egypt to drink from the Nile or Assyria to drink from the Euphrates. The only conclusion that can be drawn is that this is self-inflicted punishment because of their backsliding, as it says in verse 19. And there's another terrible pronouncement at the end of this section, just as there was at the end of the previous section in verse 11 when God said, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Here in verse 19, God makes this terrible pronouncement. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realise how evil and bitter it is when you forsake the Lord your God. Get this. And have no awe of me. And have no awe of me. They don't care about God. They don't care. And then as we move on, the prosecution, the prosecution case continues and God describes Israel in damning terms. He compares them to a prostitute, a corrupt wild vine, a deluded she-camel and a wild donkey on heat. That's the bit we didn't read. <laughs> you'd, I think you'd want to stay clear of a wild donkey on heat, wouldn't you? Not very flattering descriptors. And their guilt remains even though they think they have washed themselves. Have a look there in verse 22. Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. And the reason the washing doesn't work is given in verse 25. But you said it's no use I love foreign gods and I must go after them. They are so tantalising, Lord. The washing doesn't work because there is no repentance. The washing doesn't work because there is no repentance. They are full of lies and deception. And then the foreign gods get described here. Have a look at verses 27 and 28. They say to wood, you are my father. They say to stone, you gave me birth. It's ridiculous, isn't it? They have turned their backs to me and not their faces, yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you're in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. I hope you noted uh, that we had Psalm 115 as our first reading today because it's very connected to this. Idolatry is the great sin of this ancient nation 
And I dare say that idolatry is our great sin today. Listen again to Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Now, what should a mouth, ear, eye, nose, hand and feet do? Speak, see, hear, smell, touch and get on your way. Not living, not real. And the psalm comes to the conclusion and this always makes me laugh. When I, I remember when I was a teenager first reading Psalm 115, I burst out laughing. Because you get this list of what these things can't do and then it says those who make them will be like them. So will all who trust in them. So if you trust in something that can't do anything, you'll end up not being able to do anything. You'll be like them. And Israel is described as doing just that. Verse 27, they say to wood, you're my father. They say to stone, you gave me birth. That would have hurt, wouldn't it? Do you recall Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the contest they had on Mount Carmel? Elijah was the only prophet of God left. But there were plenty of prophets of Baal and they had this contest on Mount Carmel trying to work out who was the real God. And Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal saying, Call louder, they might be on the loo. How foolish we are when we turn away from the living God. How foolish were the Israelites when they did the same. God is trying to say to them through Jeremiah, remember, remember, remember how it was. Remember my love for you and your love for me. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Verse 31. Have I been so bad to you? Does a young woman forget her jewellery or a bride, her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. And listen to this incredible distress in God's voice in verses 34 and 35. Yet in spite of all this you say, I'm innocent. He's not angry with me. But God says, I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. They're in denial. And like I said before, there can be no forgiveness because there is no repentance. I've not sinned. The turning away from God, the forgetting of the truth about relationship with him caused this great delusion for the Israelites. How could they possibly say, I'm innocent. God's not angry. I haven't sinned. How could they say that? But, my friends, don't we say it too? Don't I say it? Don't you say it? 
That's not sin. It's okay. God won't judge me. Do we live in a delusion as well? God is pointing out the truth to Israel. He says to them, you'll be disappointed by Egypt just as you were by Assyria. You will not be helped by others. Your only help is me. Can I ask, have you understood that for yourself? Our only help is the Lord. Our only help is Jesus. The one God sent to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. Israel, Judah, needed to repent. That's all. It's really simple. God says to Israel in verse 35, I pass judgment because you say, I haven't sinned. They simply haven't acknowledged the reality of their situation. They haven't acknowledged the reality of their sin. Have you acknowledged the reality of your own sin? If you haven't, then that's a dilemma. And 1 John, our other reading today, gives us the answer to our dilemma and the answer to Judah's dilemma. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Lord, we have sinned. Forgive us. Amen.